powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Are you ready for some leadership learning today? You better be, because on Better Than Before Today, we have Carolina Caro here to teach us about core-centered leadership. And I'm going to have a segment on choosing leaders to share with you today. And we're going to get started with our guest right after I tell you that Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. Right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. For over 10 years now, we have partnered with Subaru to help those in need. During the Subaru Share the Love event, when you purchase a new Subaru, University Subaru, along with Subaru of America, will make a donation in your name to one of four national charities or the Mid-Missouri Food Bank. Come by and help us help others in Mid-Missouri this holiday season. And you get a new car. We're proud to be your truly locally owned dealer. Subaru will donate $250 to purchaser or lessee selected national and hometown charities. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and today we're going to talk about core-centered leadership, and my friend Carolina Caro is our special guest. She's a keynote speaker, a certified leadership coach and professional facilitator. She specializes in mindfulness-based practices rooted in neuroscience, which we talk a lot about here on this program. She uh, enhances awareness so that leaders can uncover their blind spots and consciously develop behaviors that cultivate their leadership potential. She partners with organizations to empower leaders to master their minds so that their minds don't master them. She trained with IPEC, which is the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, and is a member of the ICF, International Coaching Federation, where she maintains her credentials, PCC, and she 
she's also an established speaker who's earned her designation as a professional member of the National Speakers Association. She was recently invited to join the Forbes Coaches Council, where she contributes articles and participates on their expert panels. Now, here's the most interesting paragraph in her bio. She's a passionate advocate for diversity, which has shaped every aspect of her life. She's a Montreal native with both Hispanic and Indian roots, fluent in English, Spanish, and French. Her educational background is just as rich and diverse with an undergrad uh, in cell and molecular biology, a master's degree in science of experimental medicine, a master's degree in business administration, a professional certificate in acting from the Neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater in New York. Her career has taken her from medical research laboratories studying HIV and AIDS and advances in radiation oncology to sales and brand management positions for top Fortune 100 companies to an array of artistic accomplishments as a member for the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. She now lives in Pasadena, and she's honored to play a role in developing community leaders as the leadership coach and facilitator for Leadership Pasadena. She also takes pride in serving the Healthcare Businesswoman Association, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of women in healthcare with a mission to establish gender parity. And as I ask everyone who comes on this show, how in the world do you have time for me? My goodness, you're busy. You know, everyone is these days, but we prioritize. It's all about priorities. And today you're my priority. So thank you for having oh, me. On. You know, just what to say. <laughs> Carolina, thanks so much for doing this. I mean, I really appreciate you being on with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So out of all these things, I mean, my goodness, what an interesting bio. Out of all these things, how'd you get to doing the work you're doing now? Yeah, so it's interesting because when you're reading my bio, there's there's so much behind the story of how all these different career paths sort of came together. And for me, you know, I I came from a family that wasn't educated. My parents, I'm uh, you know first generation. They came from Venezuela with grade school education. Didn't even speak English when they arrived. And one thing that they drilled in my head was the importance of education. And I took that very, very seriously. Um, they also said to me, I don't know who else grew up with parents saying that there were three career paths. You could either be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Mm. So I went down the path of studying medicine, um, again, because this was sort of ingrained that this was the path I was supposed to be on. And at one point when I was working in the pharmaceutical industry, and I'm sure many people can resonate with working long hours, um, overworked, I was a bit of a workaholic, very stressed out. And my manager came to me at one point and said that I needed to get a hobby or something to start leaving the office at a reasonable hour because I was setting a bad example for my team and we were... <laughs> Yeah, we had just established work-life balance as a value for our company you know, culture. And as a manager, I wasn't setting the right example. And, and this was something that at the time, this is me almost 15 years ago, I, I was pissed off when I heard that because I was like, <laughs> you know, what are they talking about? This is the same person that they've been promoting you know, over and over for being a workhorse. Now, all of a sudden, go get a hobby. What is that? Um, and interestingly, how life happened, the hobby that I ended up getting was taking acting classes just because I had no idea what to take. And my brother's like, oh, I'll speak to a friend of mine 
you know, why don't you take some acting? It'll help you for speaking, doing presentations, all this stuff. And that was life changing for me because I, that's where I discovered mindfulness and being present in the moment. And it, it changed my life to such an extent that I quit my job. I moved from Montreal to New York and that's when I started studying acting. But really what I was pursuing was I wanted more of this mindfulness stuff. So that's how it began. You know, I, I'm just kind of curious, but um, your parents, Hispanic and Indian, and yes. they chose to move to Canada. So do you know yes. why they chose Canada? It, well, at the time we had, we did have some family there. And in terms of immigration, they just thought that it would be the easier road versus um, coming to the U.S. And, you know, they had the dream, the, the, the dream of having a better life. They came from Venezuela. So Venezuela, as, as many people know, it's a corrupt political system. There's a lot of, it's dangerous and they just didn't want, uh, you know, my brother and I growing up in that environment. So that's why they, and they, they, they saw Canada as safe. You could have education, healthcare. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's their start of their story and, and how, you know, I was born and raised in Montreal. You know, my, my wife grew up in North Dakota and, um, the first winter that I went there to visit, I asked her family, I'm like, your ancestors, when they had a winter in North Dakota, did they not think about moving on? And, <laughs> and she said, well, we came from Norway. So North Dakota is kind of tropical to us. So it's always, yeah. inter it's always interesting to me why people choose to live, you know, where they live. So let's move on to core centered leadership. So tell me a little bit about this concept you devised. Yeah. So for me, um, I became a coach. So, you know, I left acting and that sort of opened up the opportunity of, you know, what, what did I really want to do where I started asking myself these important questions of how did I want to be of service? What did I really come here to do? What's my purpose? Sort of these kind of big existential questions. And, um, and that led me to coaching. And after several years of coaching, I started realizing that that there were some similarities to all the clients that I was attracting. And, and the same thing went for my story. So we, there was a lot of similarities between what I experienced, leaving my job, trying to find meaning in my work, um, some of the disengagement that I was seeing with a lot of my corporate clients, everything that was going on. I'm like, okay, there, there's a connection here. And why I was so attracted to mindfulness and how that was life-changing for me and the meaning that I feel that so many of us search for and so that led to the creation of this, the 5C model or core-centered leadership. So the first piece is the connecting piece. And that's really the part where I recognize when we don't, when we're not grounded, when we don't have a practice that allows us to get silent, to get centered, to get focused, to, to really open ourselves up to um, what I like to call our higher self or that voice of intuition that all-knowing voice, then it, it that's where we get swayed into sort of following everyone else's idea of what success is or, you know, the path that we might follow. And, and I think that's why, you know, I see so much, not only disengagement, but the anxiety that people feel, the disconnection that we feel. So there's, there were all these patterns that led me to observe that this was really the first 
step to what I think being able to then be a good leader. If we can't connect to ourselves and to that deeper part of ourselves, then I don't think that we can be available for others. So that was the first one. Do you find that people, um, do they tend to resist wanting to start with themselves first? Yes, absolutely. I think there's been a lot of resistance. I mean, even when I first started, mindfulness was a concept that good luck trying to sell that to corporations, you know, and I think we've come a long way in terms of understanding that, uh, you know, we talk about disengagement and the fact that it's costing the U.S. billions of dollars and all of these things, um, all the Gallup studies and what have you, but we're not really looking at the underlining cause. And so I feel that we're, we've come a long way and now we're starting to look at these things. Um, and that's where now there's a bit of a shift and an opening for people to say, okay, so, you know, when you're a better leader, um, by looking at yourself introspectively, then you're going to be better at how you show up at your job. You know, I, my clients are tired of hearing me say how you do anything is how you do everything. Oh, so and, true. Yeah. And so we need, we need, and, and I, I, when I say we, I'm saying also uh, corporations, companies need to invest in their employees in that way for them to also be able to get the most out of their employees. And when I say get the most out, I'm, I'm saying being able for their employees to show up with their strengths, their gifts, their engagement to work every day. I have, um, I, you know, I created a model called the galaxy of you, where you're in the center of your galaxy. And I, my first book was around that framework. And I've just, I've learned and I've experienced in my coaching life, so many people resist starting with themselves. They want to put this person first, or they want to put that person first or whatever. And I constantly say, no, we have to put you first. And the the reason is because you can continue to say you have to put all these other people in your life first while you're slowly but surely deteriorating, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're trained to look at life that way in the sense of everything comes externally, right? How we're usually motivated and how, you know, our perception of, of what success is, our ideas about ourselves, everything is so external that going internal, going within is such a foreign concept and not one that we've been trained to do. So the second C is clarity. Tell me a little about that one. Yeah, so that is born out of being able to be grounded and centered and focused. So when we are able to do that, then I think our why, if you will, and that's the part that I talk about, the clarity is, is understanding our purpose. And, you know, I think we're all here to, to connect with that part of ourselves, but then how we express it is different for all of us. And a lot of the clues are in some of the talents that we might display and so the things that some of us resonate with and we're all different and what attracts us so some of us are artists and business people and whatever the case might be so I think that clarity comes out of being able to listen and being able to be connected so that's why it follows the connection piece and you know, for me, that was where I finally was able to disconnect from, okay, this path that was, you know, laid out for me, this idea of going and becoming a doctor and studying medicine and all of that, 
you know, when I was really able to tune in with myself, that's not at all what I feel that I came here to do. And, and a lot of times ideas are ingrained in us that come from those who, you know, want us to have safety and security and, you know, our parents, our teachers, what have you. So, so when we can listen to that inner voice, we have clarity about our why. You know, another thing that I think is a little bit defective, and parents are just trying to do the best they can, right? Absolutely. But but with a, they don't realize, and I don't care what stage you're in or what age you are as a parent, you're still trying to prepare your children for the world you currently know, not the world they're going to live in. That's a great point. Right. Great. So your process is doing a great service to people because they're discovering the world that they're supposed to live in now and their part to play in it, right? Absolutely. That's a great point. And, you know, I never looked at it that way. But as you're saying that, I, I think about my parents and instilling that, you know, need for the career, the education that they did not have. Right. And their circumstances were not the circumstance because of their sacrifice and effort were not the circumstances that I lived through. And I had so many more opportunities and choices and really the privilege of asking myself these existential questions that they did not because it was just work, work, work for them. So the third step in core centered leadership is probably my favorite, creating a clear vision. Right. So I, after obviously having that clarity of why we're here, I think that's when we can then develop being very intentional. So that's what I mean about having the, the vision. And I think that comes from, again, sort of it's, it's inspiration that comes to us about how to act. So it's putting that into play so that we can take forward movement on our action. And I talk about intentionality because I, I mean, I, I, I think it's such an important word because Otherwise, we're really living by what I, you know, I call default, which is sort of all these preconceived ideas that have been ingrained in us from a very young age that are sort of our wiring, if you will, and the programming. And we live out that programming. And that's what I see with so many of my clients. I saw that in myself, that I was just living out sort of by default what I've learned. And when we can start being very intentional and asking ourselves, questions and being able to put a very clear plan in place that comes from this inspiration, then I think we're limitless in terms of our possibilities. So then you go to clearing behavioral patterns that corrode potential. Yeah. So, so this is, this is probably one of the most important steps in being able to, you know, have that success piece that comes from creating the vision. And this is where I start to see what's keeping people in the way of being able to achieve what it is that they want. And this is probably why most of my clients come to me. So a lot of them might be able to do some of the other steps where they're getting clear on what they want. They've put an action plan or a strategic plan or what have you. Um, and then and then we start finding out that there's, you know, underlining, uh, underlying blocks that keep us from having what we want. And so there's different ways of looking at those blocks. There's different ways of clearing those blocks. But that's what then allows people to actually have what they've created in the previous step. And then the final step is community-centric contributions to build collective well-being and promote equity. This, this is key, and this is one that, um, you know, for me, I start asking myself these questions of, 
you know, how do I want to be of service? You know, when I left my career, I think that was the one question, what do I want to leave behind? And, and I think on a actual physiological level, we're programmed to help others. I mean, we, we get joy out of, or we're connected. Um, and when we do things that are greater than us and for that greater purpose, I think that that just brings that inner joy. And so, and community doesn't have to be global. It could be something very local. It could be your family, your friends. So what community means can be defined very differently for each of us. But when we're doing something that's, you know, outside of ourselves and for others, I think that's where the true joy is. So I was looking through your curriculum uh, for Core-Centered Leadership, and I saw some things that, I, I mean, I really wanted to take the course, um, but, <laughs> but I saw some things I wanted to ask you about, and one of them is in the introduction part of your course, and it says a little on hormones. So can you talk about that? Yeah, so I talk about how, you know, when we're under stress, particularly, um, because then I lead into being triggered and some of the things that happen to us uh, physiologically that start at the level of the brain. And so, you know, I, I talk a lot about the fact that we are wired for survival. We're not wired to thrive. And that comes from the fact that we have, uh, you know, some, from an evolutionary perspective, our brain, we have a lot of mechanisms that are there to protect us. And they made sense once upon a time in terms of, and they still do obviously from a survival perspective. And so what happens is we release a lot of different you know, hormones that we need to be aware of, cortisol being one of them when we're stressed. Um, and then there's oxytocin that allows us for, to bond with one another. It's what a mother releases when she's got, she has a baby. So it, it, when I help people understand that a lot of our behavior and the emotions that we feel are actually happening at the level first of our brain because we're releasing these hormones, when we can understand the basic physiology and how it relates to our emotions and how we can better um, almost manage them that that's where the emotional intelligence piece comes in then that also leads to better leadership and then um, also because I've I've written pretty extensively on it because um, growing up in a really small town with rural parents who never really moved more than a mile away from where they were born and raised um, they just couldn't help but have some fear passed on you know um and so I'm sort of an outlier in my family because I don't live around that geography I moved 300 400 miles away um but talk a little bit about how you deal with fear with your clients I think with each person it's, it's obviously it's very individualistic because as you said, somebody, for example, who's never moved. And that was the case for me once upon a time before moving then from Montreal to Toronto to New York to LA. But at the time, you know, I'll take that as an example. Just the idea of not being within my two mile radius was extremely fearful. I even went to the same gas station. And I kid you not, I used the exact same gas station all the time to make sure that I, I knew 
the pump that I, there were no surprises, like little things like that, or the same grocery store. So I could find things on the aisle. So I, I use that as an example because the baseline for somebody like that. So me several years ago would be different than me now in terms of what I, what I'm afraid of today. And so it's being able to find, how can I raise the ceiling, if you will, on what somebody is afraid of, right? Just moving the needle a little bit. So for somebody like me, it might be like, well, then let's try maybe going to a different gas station or can we expand to maybe going to a different grocery store that's somewhere outside of your neighborhood just to see what that experience feels like. And understanding that something like that for a person might actually induce a lot of fear because of the unexpected or the unknown. And and when we move the needle, it, it, it's a matter of just continuously moving that needle and understanding that the fear is going to be there. It's just knowing that, okay, how do we deal with it and how do we prepare people for what they'll deal with? So if it's you know, going into a grocery store and you don't know where anything is. Well, what, how can we deal with the unknown in that case? And I don't like to prepare people for worst case scenarios because I think that we do a really good job of allowing our brain to ruminate on all these ideas. So in, in the preparation of the unknown, it's more of how to manage those emotions that are going to come up. And that's where the mindfulness piece comes in. When we can understand the things that trigger us and how to allow ourselves to get back into a state of calm uh, using anchors and so many other different tools, then I think we help people face the unknown in a way that is manageable. You know, and we all, as we grow, uh, as people, we have those exp uh, experiences like first day in elementary school where we have the initial separation maybe. And then we have the first day in high school. And then we have the first day at college where we're trying to find out where all of our classes are and where all the buildings are and the campus and all that. But some people learn from that and they uh, normalize those experiences and even maybe get excited about the next one while other people go through that same uh, nervous uh, fear of the new, you know? Absolutely. Like you said, like you go to the same gas station, help to normalize, you know, and the, the thought of getting away from that routine was terrifying. Exactly. And I think at the time, I, I didn't have the tools to move past that. So for me, it was almost these, you know, I these leaps that happen that sometimes were even sort of outside of my control, if you will, like moves that were almost forced upon me in order for me to be able to get to that next level. But that's not the best way to do it. I think the best way to do it is to have the tools that allow us to manage the emotions that come with that fear. And I think that's what allows people to get unstuck and to be able to move past the cycles. It's almost like uh, grief, you know, there's several stages uh, mm. that we move through. And in the same way with fear, when we can understand all the different uh, versions of it that inflict us and and where that's coming from not that we need to really understand it but that it's coming from you know things that we experienced in our childhood so that we can then move through it I think that makes it much easier for people to face those new situations you know I've been an admirer um, of your work and I'm so glad we've got you on today because you're doing an excellent job of helping our audience understand 
core-centered leadership. Last question for you on this topic. Um, talk a little bit about mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And uh, you mentioned it a little bit before, but just kind of tie it all up here with some thoughts about mindfulness. Sure. So mindfulness for me became what, what, what changed my life when I was first introduced to this was the idea that I had no idea that I was never present in the moment. I didn't even know what being present in the moment was. And the interesting piece about where I was then is I actually mocked it. You know, I mocked mindfulness and I had a lot of judgment even about those people, those people that would practice it. So uh, kind of like the separation between myself and whatever mindful people was, because again, it was just creations that I had in my mind of what that meant. And once I discovered the power of it, so for me, what it means today is awareness, awareness of my feelings, awareness of my thoughts. Because again, if we live so much just you know, either living in the past, living in the future, full of anxiety, particularly today, the pace at which we're living, I, I feel it's really unsustainable. And there's so much stress, there's so much anxiety. And when we're not able to be present, when we recognize that in the moment, there's actually uh, so much peace, so much happiness available to us, but that's not how we're used. That's not how we're used to living. And it's not how we've conditioned our mind to be. So when I extrapolate that to leadership, it's about teaching our leaders that they need to have those skills to, to have the self-awareness first in order to then move on to the emotional intelligence other aspect of emotional intelligence, which is the management piece. So with the awareness, then comes the management, not only of self, but of others. And so that's really the root, I think, where all of it begins. We're speaking with Carolina Caro, and she is the master of core-centered leadership. A lot of fantastic ideas, uh, big ideas uh, shared today. And we want to tell everybody how they can find out more about you. But before we do that, we have a standard list of closing questions that we ask every guest who comes on the show. So there are 12, and I'm just going to shoot them to you rapid fire. And <laughs> And you, you, I mean, after reading your bio, I've really been looking forward to asking you these 12 things because I'm sure they're going to be interesting. First question, what is the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Mm, probably the ocean. I don't know why that just came to mind, but um, I, I, I'm attracted to water and uh, I did live in my early childhood in Venezuela for a few years. And before we had, that's a long story about our immigration, but I, I just have memory of the ocean and water. Yeah. Oh, I love water. What's a, <laughs> who's the number one hero in your life? My mom, she passed, but she's everything that I am today is definitely because of my mom. She was strong and yet vulnerable at the same time and definitely a hero in so many ways. And she's still with me. Wonderful. What was your mom's name? Angela. Mm. What is the top value you subscribe to? Uh, there's so many that are coming up for me right now. And the, the first word that came up was uh, spiritual. And, and we use that so loosely sometimes. And I think for me, it comes back to that connection piece. When we can connect to our higher self, source, whatever word people are comfortable using, um, I think that 
out of that is where, again, potential and limitless and our goodness, not only individually, but collectively. Who's the most important person in your life? David, my partner, who just inspires me to be better every day. What does David do? He's a screenwriter. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm married to a writer, too. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing? So I love, you know, those wet napkins. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I love them so much. And the nicer the scent, the better. Uh -oh. I think Good. they're the greatest thing. <laughs> When's the last time you used one? Oh, I use them all the time. I keep them out all the time. So yesterday, I haven't used one yet today. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's coming up, I bet. Um, <laughs> yes, lunchtime soon. <laughs> what's your favorite food? Sushi. Mm. Any particular style or kind or? Mm, no. Okay, just any sushi. Yeah, I mean, I'm not into, I'm not really fancy. And, and since I've gone a vegetarian, I, I'm pretty boring because it's like the avocado maki rolls or, or cucumber or, you know, anything veggie. So it's kind of boring um, for somebody who really is into raw fish, but I still love sushi. Most beautiful place you've ever been to? Mm, Dubai. Oh, really? What was beautiful about it? There's just this sort of elegance to everything and extravagance almost. Um, in some ways, it was a bit too much, but there was some, it's just something I've never seen. And then to have all that extravagance and then be in the desert at the same time, you know, it was, it was just something that my mind couldn't grasp almost all that. Yeah, it was very interesting. If you a different could, oh, yeah, right. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Love, definitely. We, we forget about that in success, but if we don't have love, love in what we do, in our work, in our family, uh, for other, I mean, there's no success without love. So how do you want to be remembered? That I was able to spread more of that in the world, both in the business world and in people's personal lives. So if you could go back and talk to a young Carolina, what would be some advice for her? Not to stress out so much because it's not worth it and it all works out in the end. What's your favorite sound? Water, the sound of waves. And last question, out of all the lessons you've learned, what is the absolute best lesson you've learned? Probably that about the the worrying piece. I think we we create so many scenarios in our minds that never happen. And that when we can, instead of going to worst case scenarios, go to best case scenarios, those are the ones that end up happening. Wonderful. Carolina Caro. She is a leadership coach, keynote speaker, facilitator, and she has developed core center leadership model. Carolina, tell everybody how to find out more about you. Well, they can reach me on my website by reaching carolinacaro.com, or they can actually text the word mindful to 345-345 and they can get on my newsletter. Well, listen, I really appreciate you uh, being on today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. You bet. We'll have more on Better Than Before right after this.
For over 10 years now, we have partnered with Subaru to help those in need. During the Subaru Share the Love event, when you purchase a new Subaru, University Subaru, along with Subaru of America, will make a donation in your name to one of four national charities or the Mid-Missouri Food Bank. Come by and help us help others in Mid-Missouri this holiday season. And you get a new car. We're proud to be your truly locally owned dealer. Subaru will donate $250 to purchaser or lessee selected national and hometown charities. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We're talking about leadership this week on the program, and I've got a question for leaders listening to this program today. Have you ever wondered how you got to be where you are How did the transitions happen to bring you wherever here is for you today? Let me tell you the first thing, and that is everyone typically starts off as a functional leader. This is how we all started. And if that trajectory takes them upward, well, then they become an organizational leader. So right now, at the present time, I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. I'm an advisor to business leaders. I didn't start out that way. Before this, I was the head of a company, and before that, I was the head of another company. But it all started for me working as a lawnmower. I performed the function of lawn mowing for some money. In 1974, I borrowed some money from my grandfather. We've talked about that on the show today. He gave me a loan so I could buy a motorcycle, and I paid it off by mowing lawns. And I did my best to do it really well. Next, I started working in his feed store. I did functional things. I loaded trucks. I unloaded trucks. I weighed trucks. I waited on customers. I helped with animal medicines and hardware materials. I worked at my first broadcast station in 1978, running the control board for preachers on Sunday morning programs, working at various functions, you know. And some people told me to quit learning everything to do at these various jobs because that meant I'm going to get all the bad work. But I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it like I wanted to be the best at everything that I could do. I wanted to be the best at broadcast media. So I learned everything from the frontline job all the way to the top. And fortunately, I was noticed. And someone said, hey, he's pretty good at that. Maybe he can handle this. And it was a higher level job. And that's primarily how things happen in your career trajectory. You're trying to gain attention by being an outstanding functional leader. And you perform that function as well as you possibly can. And when you move from functional leader to organizational leader, you have to make a shift. Because when you go from leading yourself and doing a function to leading others in an organization, you go from working with things to working with people. You've moved into a totally different realm. Usually once someone moves over to an organizational leader successfully, it's pretty difficult to go back to being a functional leader. Now, a quick word of warning, 
before you move somebody into a transition between functional leadership and organizational leadership, some things you really need to think about. How do they do with people? How do they do with conflict between people? How do they do at self-management? If they're a good functional leader, they've usually done pretty well with that. Can they manage and manipulate their own energy? Can they manage their energy? The energy doesn't manage them. Do they understand and can they execute good communication? Can they handle the accountability of being responsible to people on their team? There's been exceptional functional leaders and their careers have been ruined by putting them into transition and becoming an organizational leader. Don't do it if you have any doubts at all. You owe it to your organization to responsibly handle this part of your duties, making sure you have the best people in the best seats on the bus. Our coaching and advice at Clear Vision can help you with all the things I've been talking about. Just shoot me an email, tony at clearvisiondevelopment.com or visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com to learn more about how we can help you with your people decisions. Well, that's our show today. We want to thank uh, Carolina Caro for being our special guest today and teaching us all about core-centered leadership We're brought to you by University Subaru. Right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. From here, been here, always will be here, University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. If you wouldn't mind, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating for our podcast and follow us on Twitter at TonyRichards4 and at ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.